We're building this city one day at a time. Welcome to Grow Lincoln, the program with Lincoln's future in mind. Your hosts are former Lincoln City Councilwoman Robin Eshelman and Dave Albers, two experts in the field of commercial real estate and business development. Now, it's time to Grow Lincoln on the Voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. Lincoln weather forecast this week, triple digits now, but cooling off and more clouds, so we'll get a little break from some of the heat. For those of you old enough to remember back in the days when grass was green, we have a shot at that again in the next few days. This segment today is possible because of the Nebraska Grain Sorghum Board, Remax Concepts, and Nebraska Prep Equipment. Coming up on the show, there's a supply chain course of study at UNL, and we're going to talk to one of the professors about what teaching this subject has been like for her the last few months. Has to be interesting. Oh, boy. And a young professional moves back to Lincoln. We'll talk to Kelly Cunningham of Charter Title about careers, detours, risk-taking, and volunteer work. How many people in Lincoln own electric cars? Mark Skolnick from Lincoln Electric System will be in for a really fun topic. Well, Robin, why don't we just jump right in and talk to our first guest. Supply chain studies at UNL. Yes, we are so happy to have Dr. Jennifer Ryan. She is the chair of the Department of Supply Chain Management and Analytics at the University of Nebraska. I bet people don't even realize that resource that we have right here. I, I doubt that they do. In Lincoln. How are you doing today? Very good. Thank you. Well, thank you for coming. Um, give us some examples of what you teach students and some examples of the research that you do. Boy, this has got to be timely here. It is. Yes, <laughs> it's very exciting. We've been a department for six years, and we are supply chain management and analytics. So we teach both business analytics, which is using data to help businesses make better decisions, but also supply chain management. And we teach courses at the undergraduate level, master's level. We're starting PhD next year. Hmm. Um, and we, we teach a whole host of courses. Every college of business student has to take an introductory supply chain management course. And we teach that. And oh, really? Be- yeah. I did not know that's, that. That's it's so new. important that if you're a finance person or a marketing person or an accounting person, that you know the basics of supply chain management because it underlies all aspects of business. Mm-hmm. So we teach that basic course. But we have a whole series of more advanced courses for students who are majoring in the subject. So we teach courses that focus inside the factory, so planning and managing um, a manufacturing system. But then we also look outside of production to things like logistics, so transportation, distribution, inventory storage. We look at global sourcing. So if you're going to buy your goods from overseas, <laughs> oh how you boy. manage that, that's been, which has been a challenge. <laughs> that's been talked about a lot yeah. in the last couple of years. Yeah, we, and we teach, um, finally, I'll just mention information technology for supply chain because information technology is really what controls supply chains these days. You can't operate a supply chain well without that. Absolutely. How do you go about connecting to the business community so you can learn the needs in the supply chain system and then know how to teach supply chain to students? How do you 
make that connection? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, we are, the faculty are all very um, aware that we need to continuously connect with industry. We have an industrial advisory board that we work with, um, and they actually were involved from the very beginning in designing our curriculum, so giving us input on what we need to be teaching. Hmm. Um, And they are representatives from, you know, Lincoln and Omaha, the Great Plains states, major uh, manufacturers, transportation companies, ag, food, you know, the main sectors around here. Um, and we meet twice a year with them, and we tell them what we're doing. Uh, we listen to uh, what they have to say about what we should be doing. One of our most recent meetings, we just said to them, you know, so much has changed. How should we be changing what we teach? Um, and we listen to their feedback. So it's a two-way conversation where we give them updates, and they tell us what they think. Well, okay, and this is what I've been wondering ever since we invited you onto the show. There are basic principles in business. And that, you know, is presumably what your curriculum is based on, but yet you have had these massive global changes. So I was wondering, I was at first assuming you probably had to pivot massively, but but maybe not because principles are principles. What has it been like? And that's exactly true. So the basic concepts, the basic theories, we haven't changed. You know, there's some fundamental trade-offs in supply chain management. So, for example, you have to balance cost, service, quality, Uh, the variety of products you're producing, you can't be the best at all of those at the same time, right? You can't produce the highest quality product at the lowest possible cost. You just can't do it. So those trade-offs have always been there, and companies have always had to step back and say, how should I prioritize? How do I want to compete? Should I focus on quality? Should I focus on cost? Always there. But it's become more challenging. The trade-offs have become a little bit more um, difficult to make for companies. Uh, mm. Some of the some of the goals, like fast delivery time, have become really challenging, or low cost have become right. really challenging. Um, and so you just see companies making different decisions. So we teach the trade-offs, and the examples that we use are different. The examples we use are much more current, um, and actually that's a great thing for us is that we can bring in what's going on on a day-to-day, week-by-week basis, right into the classroom to demonstrate the things we've always been teaching our students. Yeah. And maybe some of the issues that popped up when everybody was talking about just-in-time mm-hmm. uh, supply chain stuff. And, yeah, that, and I that, actually... That, that, that became a little bit of a problem. Right, and I actually teach the Lean uh, course where we cover just-in-time. And so I had to in particular, change how I teach because there were a lot of people, a lot of news media writing about just-in-time and blaming just-in-time for the current issues. And it reflects a a lack of a fundamental understanding of what just-in-time is. Um, And so that was actually a great opportunity for that course to really step back and say, what are the good things about just-in-time and what are the bad things? Because no system of running an operation is perfect and it's not going to work in every situation. So it was a a great learning opportunity for the students to, to really step back and say, when will just in time work and when won't it? Yeah. Talk about the students. Uh, are, do you have more students interested in your program now? That's a great question. So we do see, looking at my fall data, enrollment numbers in our courses is higher than, than has been. Uh, but, it, you know, enrollments are a little bit of a lagging indicator. The students that we're seeing in our courses in the major are mostly seniors. So they declared their major t- three years ago, maybe. And so I won't know for sure for maybe another year, but we're getting more inquiries, and we do see, you know, a slight increase. 
Well, interesting things. Um, it has been a challenge for businesses lately to balance just in time with just in case. Exactly. <laughs> and having yep. to stock up a lot in their warehouses, a lot more than they used to, if they can even get it. Um, s- such interesting stuff. If someone's interested in having you come and speak or interested in some of your research, how do they reach you? So my uh, email address is very simple, jennifer.ryan at unl.edu. You can also find me on the College of Business webpage. Um, we have lots of opportunities to um, come in for people who are interested in interacting with our students, uh, learning about what our faculty does. We're, we're very eager to interact with the local community. Boy, she would be a great speaker for a, for a business group or a trade sure organization, especially in the you know construction field. Oh, boy. <laughs> and if you haven't been to the new building that the College of Business uh, per, uh, built, you need to go. That's and, and beautiful. See it. Worth uh, ducking in down there yeah. and and peeking into the the College of Business. Such a beautiful building. Thanks a lot, Jennifer Thanks Ryan, again. Department of Supply Chain Management and Analytics at UNL. Coming up next, careers, detours, and risk taking. We'll be right back. It's Grow Lincoln. 1499.3 KLIN. What reasons would you give to someone as to why they should move to Lincoln? What reasons would you give someone why they shouldn't move here? What do you think about downtown? Lincoln Chamber of Commerce would like to would like you to take a community survey. Lots of interesting questions on this survey. Go to their website at lcoc.com. It takes about 10 minutes. This segment is possible today because of the Nebraska Green Sorghum Board, and REMAX Concepts. Speaking of that and of people who have come to Lincoln to live, I mean, in this case, we had one who left and came back. Yeah. <laughs> we want to introduce our guest, Kelly Cunningham from Charter Title. How, do you, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thank you guys for having me. We've had you on our show to talk about 1031 exchanges and all these other things, but we've never really asked your personal story, which kind of has a little bit of a twist to it. Um, and we have had kind of this mini theme in our show the last few weeks. Every once in a while, we just stop and ask a guest. So when you were a little kid, did you think this was what you were going to be when you grew up? Right. <laughs> so that's your question. <laughs> were you going to run I'm a, thinking... Were, <laughs> Were you going to run a, a title well, company? When title you, insurance <laughs> is the way to go. Did you have a title insurance Barbie doll? <laughs> no, I sure didn't. Most people don't grow up thinking they want to be a title insurance agent because they just don't really know it exists, right? <laughs> yeah. So granted, I do have family in the real estate business. My parents have always owned and operated a title company. But truthfully, until I was in college, I had no idea what they did, right? Oh, because right. who knows what they do? My dad is an attorney and my mom's a paralegal. And so I always kind of knew I'd be going into the law in some fashion. That was more the emphasis. That yeah, you were... exactly. But I thought I wanted to be a divorce attorney. And so that's actually what I went to law school for was to study family law, divorce. I've always been really passionate about kids. Well, and what law. a pick me up uh, family law is. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it, takes, it takes a special person, actually. It really does. Yes. So then I started volunteering in law school or not volunteering. I started working for Charter Title in law school doing recordings. And I was like, oh, wow, this is exciting. I'm seeing things in action that I learned in property class. And so that's, you know, the rest is history. Here I am. Um, you took a detour to Colorado along yeah. the way. Tell, tell, tell the story. 
So my now husband, he is from Beatrice, but he got his master's at Colorado State. Uh -huh. So he was living out in Fort Collins. I couldn't get a job in Fort Collins, so I actually ended up in Laramie, Wyoming for a little bit. I was doing closings in Laramie up there for a little bit of time. Then I got a job in Fort Collins. So that was really great to see how things work in the so Mountain West. So this was West. love. <laughs> it was real love. And then his family business had a position and my family business had a position right at the same time. Really? So we, that's how we ended up back in Nebraska. Oh, and wow. his family business was back here also. Yep. So you in, didn't have to pick which city. Well, it's in Beatrice. So we initially came home to Beatrice oh. and I would drive up to Lincoln every day. But now he's working with me in the charter office. So we're both in Lincoln now. So it was the pull of the family business. I mean, would you say that there was something specifically in Lincoln other than family? I mean, did you think about California or New York or, you know, Phoenix or? It's not like there, there isn't title work everywhere. Right. I think the biggest thing was just a quality of life versus the income that we could make. Hmm. It Fort Collins was so expensive and I was making less money than I had made in Laramie. Um, and my cost of housing was so expensive. And mm. so there was that piece of like, we can make a really good living back home doing the things Beatrice, we're already Beatrice doing. Beatrice is not that expensive. Yeah, no. yeah, doing things we're already doing. So we just decided it was good to come home. I, you know, there there we go again, Dave. Robin gets on the cost of housing, which I've been on a rant about this for months, <laughs> how important. I'm glad you said that, Robin, and I It did. is to keep, to keep it in, under control. Has the title business gotten riskier over the years? Because, you know, we hear about so much more. I mean, all businesses are on guard against identity theft, cyber theft. Um, I think you guys have to deal with underwriting risks maybe more than you used to. What What are some of the things that have made business more challenging in recent years? Yeah, the thing that makes me the most sad is actually it's not the title business that's gotten harder. It's just dealing with cyber criminals right. and our emails getting hacked and our customers' emails getting hacked and people sending fraudulent wires. And there's really nothing we can do about it if we don't catch it in 72 hours, which we can now. But when it first started mm. happening, there was no protection for us or the customer. And so that's really scary. And I feel like we're always behind the bad guys, if that makes sense. You know, we, we fix one problem and then they've found a new, Another. Way. a new way. Yeah. And so it's just really scary. And all we can do is educate our customers and ourselves. That's probably why uh, you have your disclaimer at the bottom of every one of your emails. Your law degree probably helped a little bit in that arena. Yes, absolutely. You are a volunteer for a nonprofit called Lunch Leadership. You want to tell about that? Yeah, I actually have two nonprofit passions, so I'll speak about them both quickly. But Lunch Leadership is a nonprofit dedicated to developing youth leaders in grades 6 through 12. We do two summer camps for kiddos at Doan University in Crete. Oh. It, I went as a high schooler. It changed my life, so I cannot recommend it enough if you're looking for that leadership development. And then I'm also working on AHI's uh, Landlord Seal of Approval program. So we are trying to certify and recognize good acting landlords in our community nice. if they're providing affordable and safe housing. And so that is something that I'm also super passionate about. If you're a good acting landlord, please go to ahilincoln.org, click on the Landlord Sale of Approval Program, 
and we would love to talk to you. And they get like a little trophy? We'll give them a yard <laughs> sign and a sticker, and then they'll be advertised on our website. Can they at least get a certificate? I'll give them a certificate. Right. <laughs> well, that that is nice. I mean, we need landlords who are willing to do affordable housing, and if they're doing it, they should be recognized. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we want to recognize those good acting landlords that are already there. Well, thanks a lot, um, Kelly Cunningham. We appreciate having her come on the show. Coming up next, who's going to end up with your money? We're going to have Roger Frank come in. Everyone is excited about new business, and our business is to tell you what's new. This is Grow Lincoln on 1499.3 KLIN. After the release of a report that uncovered $180 million in unobligated funds left over from the Restaurant Revitalization Fund, the U.S. Small Business Administration confirmed with Nation's Restaurant News that the SBA is working with the Justice Department on a plan to award the rest of the funds. This segment is possible today because of Christensen Hearing Analytics. Lincoln Airport Authority, and Service Master Professional Building Maintenance. What happens if you don't finish up the paperwork and send it back in? In other words, you don't get the will actually signed, or you forget to fill out that form about who your beneficiary is, and then something happens. In the studio is Roger Frank of Frank Financial Concepts. Roger, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's, Where, a, it's a wonderful day. What happens to these accounts when things like this happen? You know, I've been in this business for 26 years, and occasionally we do come across accounts that don't have designated beneficiaries. So, you know, sometimes we also, I guess one other thing I should mention, we also have estates sometimes that we come across uh, that don't have wills. But both of those issues create issues when determining where those proceeds go. So as I mentioned, it rarely happens, but this is usually an oversight for some people and very rare exceptions uh, or under certain circumstances it may be a choice. So what does happen to these accounts and policies when that original owner dies? Yeah, great question. Usually the investment or insurance firm gets the first chance to determine what happens on, you know, as an example, on many retirement plans, a spouse is often the default beneficiary, even if they weren't named on the form. And if the deceased has no spouse, then the plan assets may just become part of that person's estates. Brokerage accounts, on the other hand, without a designated beneficiary, is also poised to become a part of the estate of the uh, decedent. And, you know, one thing that we always talk about uh, when monies flow through an estate, uh, sometimes it ends in, ends in probate. Yeah, and that that's where I got a little fuzzy because I thought it always went to probate if there was, you know, if it was undetermined. Yeah, the state you live in may end up deciding where the assets go uh, when the beneficiary forms are blank. Um, if the deceased failed to name account or policy beneficiaries but had a valid will or other valid estate documents, then that will influence the path of where those dollars will go uh, to. But uh, it may, may not exempt uh, the assets from going to probate, though. But if no legally valid estate documents do exist, then the deceased parties dies intestate, and the state determines the destiny of those assets. Most states go with some sort of ladder. Um, for instance, it could be surviving spouse at the top, then maybe kids, then grandkids, and so on. If absolutely no legitimate heir can be found, then the assets become the property of the deceased state. Well, what about life insurance policies? 
Yeah, usually there's a couple levels of beneficiaries. There's a primary and contingent beneficiaries. Uh, it is rare when a policy owner outlives them or even rare when the policy has none. I have seen on occasion where the primary beneficiary has passed away and uh, the beneficiary documents haven't been updated accordingly. In such a circumstance, the proceeds of life insurance policy become part of the state of the policyholder uh, upon those uh, policyholders' death when there's no beneficiary named. Well, some people don't have anyone they want to leave it to. Yeah, occasionally that does happen. Uh, you know, some people remain single for life. Sometimes they're estranged from their relatives. Uh, mm -hmm, that's you know, a big could one. Could other ways be a beneficiary? You know, a person in this situation, they have choices. Uh, they could maybe donate it to a charity. They could maybe donate it to a college or university that could use those funds as well. Uh, choices do exist, so explore those if you're in that situation. And those who are single um, can can explore them, and, and they can consider their own estate at that time. One thing I would encourage our listeners is to sit down, review all of your investments to be sure beneficiary designations are up to date. If, for instance, that primary beneficiary has uh, passed away, get that updated sooner rather than later. And then also one thing we've been talking to a lot of our clients about is uh, non-retirement accounts, like a brokerage account, adding a transfer on death or at a bank, maybe a payable on death. Uh, those are easy things to take care of, and I would uh, encourage you to do that. And I think that would probably help whoever is handling your estate, that personal representative, uh, get to that process a little quicker. We always think about talking to a lawyer about these things, but we can also learn things from a financial advisor, too. Thanks a lot for sharing, Roger. You're welcome. Yeah, thanks, Roger. Roger Frank is a registered representative of and securities offered through Berthel Fisher & Company Financial Services, BFCFS member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through BFC Planning, Inc. Frank Financial Concepts, BFCFS, and BFC Planning, Inc. are independent entities. In our Drinking Beyond the Pandemic local update, Kind of active this week, Mr. Dave. Boy, Robin, we three different uh, items. Alcohol that we have. permits, and yeah. they're churning around down at the city. Fleetwood, eight hundred one West O Street, under the viaduct. And that's that's a, that's a condo building. Have you seen some of those? I have not seen any of them. I, I mean, they're really pretty, but apparently Fleetwood is going to have an al have alcohol on first floor. And then I'm not familiar with this either. F and D's. Uh, liquor for a Class C liquor license. They're at 3243 Cornhusker Highway. Yeah, that's the shopping center behind Scooters, and yeah. they have been leasing out some spaces up there lately. They, they uh, snagged a big tenant from University Place lately, and they're starting to fill up. Well, that's good. And Casey's, uh, I love this. Number 3970. So is that literally store number 3,970? Who, Who knows? For a classy uh, liquor license, this is at uh, 120 South 90th Street. So that would be across the street from Southeast Community right. College. We had talked about this Casey's going up there a long, a long, long time, time ago. I had forgotten about it, to be honest. Yeah. So... Finally, uh, they're they're working on that. This is there's some ap other apartments that are just to the uh, west of that location. So, hmm. Well, yeah. a lot of population out there. A apparently lot of houses. We, new apparently, school. we just need to drink a little bit more. <laughs> That's right. Coming up next, electric cars. We've got a really fun segment for you coming right up.
Economic development is not boring. It's our future. It's Grow Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. Local author Randy Bretz has penned a new book. It's called The People of Lincoln, The Framework of Community. It has 16 portraits of people who make Lincoln a nice place to live, work, and raise a family. Leaders, entrepreneurs, neighbors, artists, organizers, and people who moved away from Lincoln and came back. You can buy it at Francie and Finch Bookstore downtown. This segment is possible today because of John Henry's Plumbing. Lincoln Chamber of Commerce and Baylor Evnen Law Firm. We have a totally fun segment for you this segment. Our totally fun. Totally fun. Our sponsor, Lincoln Electric System, is going to tell us about electric cars in Lincoln. I want to know how many people, Dave, are driving these things. Well, I think uh, the first question we have here is, can you explain the difference? Well, wait a minute. Did we announce our sponsors yet? Yes, we did. Oh, we did. Okay. Yes. All right. But should we introduce our guest? No. Let's just go right into it and just let everybody guess because of, his, because of his voice. Because They'll we, already know that it's... Because we forgot, but we apologize, but you all know who he is anyway. Yeah. All right, go ahead, introduce him. Mark Skolnick from Lincoln Electric. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. We almost and jumped in with a question without introducing The you. introductions aren't that important. It's the subject matter that's important today. There are so many types of battery-powered vehicles, mm-hmm. and I... You know, I drive a hybrid, but I honestly have not kept up with what all these differences are and all these little initials that describe them. So clarify. Well, Dave, you need to understand Robin is a pioneer. I mean, she got into one of the first modern (laughs) battery assisted, battery assisted technologies in the Prius. And I will admit to an overt smugness the last few weeks and months. I have, you know, rubbed it in with my. Well, of course. Your mileage is probably pretty good. And my gas 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 makes that sound like it's recent. (laughs) My gas went from $40 a month to $80. Well, that, that. That was just the first phase of this transition we're making to battery electric vehicles. And and hybrids are that first phase, but they don't plug in. And so we know that that, that, uh, a hybrid vehicle will get better mileage because there's battery assist. And when you brake, you regenerate energy back into the battery. And so when you accelerate that assist, as well as when you're idling, that battery can kind of take over and reduce the the fuel consumption but what we're really talking about here is plug-in hybrid electric vehicles which have an extended range battery of typically 25 to 30 miles and then you have the internal combustion engine component so once the battery is pretty much exhausted that internal combustion engine takes over so you 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 have extended range and then of course now we're talking as well as battery electric vehicles those are all electric so then you've yeah. got batteries in the range of around 250 miles or more and both of those the plug-in hybrids and the battery electric plug-in and, and uh, typically we're finding that over 90% of the time that that's at home they're 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 charging they're, they're, at home they're charging. Yep. yeah i have a brother-in-law that just bought one about a year ago and he doesn't feel comfortable yet leaving town but he says it's just fine for driving around Lincoln. Well, you know, you think about a plug-in hybrid electric vehicle, you could pretty much do your typical commute. And we did a study to find out what's the typical miles that a Lincolnite travels, about 20 miles. Well, that battery, that plug-in hybrid electric uh, battery is going to be that. You may not even use the gas in your tank most Mm -hmm. days just with a plug-in hybrid, but it's certainly going to be easy to get around in an all-electric as well. 
so how many plug-in electrical vehicles are there currently registered in our fine community? Dave, that's a brilliant question. It's a brilliant question. So this is plug-in. These these are plug-in vehicles, and I got the numbers yesterday for the oh, second great. quarter. And we have between 1,000 and 1,100 plug-in vehicles in our community. So you will see Teslas driving around right. town hmm. and other plug-in vehicles driving around. That's that's a considerable increase over the last several years. What's your prediction for the next few years? So we are seeing early adopters right now. So these are right. Early, right these are early adopters. These are individuals that are motivated. Well, do you do you want to guess what the biggest motivation is for well, a lot of people? Well, it's probably ideological, isn't it? It is. Yeah. It is. It is environmentally focused. So a lot of folks that are that are driving electric vehicles now are motivated by the fact that there are zero emissions coming out of their vehicle. Uh, you could also put into that group those that um, are tech enthusiasts, so they want the latest technology yeah. no matter what it is, yeah. and the performance. I mean, if you ever have gotten behind the wheel of an electric vehicle and oh. press the accelerator, it's zero to 60 sometimes in two and a half seconds. Okay, so this is the cohort, and that's usually about 13% of any given market is these early adopters. The, the early majority, the tipping point will occur when... Um, people see the price come down, people right. see the models available that they want, people see the range extended, people talk to their friends, neighbors, and family and understand their experience and say, oh, okay, I'm going to go for it. We're a few years away here, but in California, which is always leading on some of this stuff, six, over 16% of all vehicles sold in California over the last 12 months have been plug-in electric 16 percent in lincoln 16%. this year we're on pace for about four percent mm. of of vehicle purchases this year so far have been plug-in interesting vehicles. Yep. yeah well, and they also have high gas prices they have high too. gas prices they also have uh requirements and regulations right. that we don't have that that are moving them much quicker towards that right. all-electric future talk to us about the grid because it's hard to get past what happened with the rolling blackouts. Mm -hmm. And we all know this is a risk if we right. go, I mean, but you know, obviously gasoline is a risk too, as sure. we've all seen. So how are you preparing for that? So we conducted a three-year study to better understand how residential customers, when, where, and how long they charge their vehicles from 2019 uh, 2020, the pandemic year, which kind of threw the whole study out right. the window that year, right. and then 2021. What we found is that um, our early adopters, they are charging primarily off our peak. They're doing it in the evening after we peak, usually late afternoon. There's a little bit of overlap. Uh, there are a lot of charging overnight. So that's actually a pretty good symbiotic relationship right there because we're overnight there isn't a whole lot of load that's taking place if you think about it okay right so it's gonna say we all come home from work and that's when we're gonna all plug it in at that the same isn't time, you'd though. think that but, but it's the not study, like that correct the studies showed that doesn't happen in in actuality okay huh. that there's a fair amount of plugging in after people are about ready to go to bed or they may program their car to start charging later in the, in the evening. The other thing that we found out is not everybody charges every day. You don't have to charge every True. day. When yeah. you've got the, that kind of range on an all electric, you could charge every other day. And that's what we found for all electrics. It was about every other day. So there's a lot of diversity, which means we have a little bit more lead time in preparing to handle that load. It won't be as dramatic. Now, the thing that I do want to focus on though are fleets right so we've got StarTran and they've converted right. their buses to all electric we have to work closely 
with fleets to make sure we have ample infrastructure. Yeah, yeah, really good stuff. Um, we want to do more on this, so um, we do plan to have Mark come back and do another segment to finish. And we're, we, we're going to introduce him sooner in the segment. We had time. like six <laughs> questions, and we only got to four. So, yeah, next time we'll introduce your name. <laughs> You've been listening to Mark Skolnick from Lincoln Electric System. This is Grow Lincoln. Coming up next, business openings, closings, and relocations. We'll be right back. This city is my city. And I love it, yeah, I love it. I was born and raised here, I got it made And if I have my way, I'm gonna stay. It'll be cool. It's Grow Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. Welcome back to Grow Lincoln with Robin Eshelman and Dave Albers. And this segment is possible today because of University of Nebraska-Lincoln College of Business, Frank Financial Concepts, and Realtors Association of Lincoln. We've had several Girl Lincoln fans recently. That would be Bob Stetson, Jeffrey Wise, and Becky Fujan Shaw. Ask what is happening at 27th and Superior on the southwest corner. There must not be signs up there. Um, Chipotle and Panera both are going there. planning to go to that intersection. Well, Robin, we have some other stuff, uh, excuse me, happening uh, on the north side of town. Um, other news, 1555 Yolande. This is near 14th and Cornusker Highway. You might remember Champions Fund Center. That building has been sold, and a tenant, RC's Boxing Productions, has applied for a change of zone for purposes of public assembly for boxing matches and concerts of over 500 people. This is a planning commission. It's in the planning commission. They are reviewing that. Once it goes through there, it will be sent on to the Lincoln city council. So a little bit more intensive use, even, I mean, I thought champions was an intensive use. This is even more so. Well, that's a lot of people, Robin. 500 people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Natasha Dobson sent in a press release for us on Facebook. Rise and Shine Boutique uh, was at 2719 North 48th, and they're moving to 3320 Cornhusker Highway. And they're going into... Uh, Rad Retro Toys is taking their old space. At universe, yeah, at they're moving uni- out of University out of Place, university. and that's Rad Retro Toys. <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah. We're taking our space. But we had, we just talked a little bit about uh, 33rd and Cornhusker. We did. There's a shopping center on the south side of the street that has the scooters. This this is an address, 3320. That's a even address. So that would be on the north side, but it would be right across the street yeah, it's just- from the scooters. Things have been happening over there. Yeah, busy, busy corner. We got a sad thing to bring up, Robin, and that is Boxcar Barbecue at 61st and Havelock closed. Uh, only open for a few months, and then prior to that, that was Pasta Place. I was surprised. I thought, uh, I thought that it'd work barbecue there. would would be a hit. Um, I know we've had an awful lot of barbecue places open. Um, I know that one relocated over to Northeast Lincoln recently, but yeah, I I would have thought that would have worked. I agree. I would have guessed that. Uh, 6345 Havelock Avenue. So uh, that would be about three blocks away from there. Yeah. 
former bank location on the east end of the strip, uh, remodel existing space for a new coffee house, $350,000. Heritage Bible Church is the owner of that property. Yeah. So I wonder if they're doing um, a coffee ministry. Yeah. <laughs> Some every once in a while um, philanthropic groups will do coffee houses. Robin, I saw a building permit uh, that was pulled here in this last week. And we have already talked about this a little bit. And this is at 1975 M Street. And it's uh, off-leash dog bar. And the main reason why I wanted to talk about it was $450,000 building permit. So I don't know what all is going on there, but that's a lot of money. Well, the building permit says they're converting a warehouse to a dog bar to a dog bar i i think it's actually a people bar but the dog can come along with you i doubt it's a drinking establishment strictly limited to dogs <laughs> um but yeah if they're taking a warehouse and converting it into a bar yeah that, that i mean that's, that's like a, that's a, a restaurant yeah that's there's a lot of a lot of remodeling you have to, to do yeah. yeah so that's a 1965M. That would be Telegraph District. Yeah, in that general area. Be, and that would agree because we heard a couple months ago that Telegraph District was planning to do a dog bar. And I believe, I got to look at our list here because I think they're getting one at 48th and Van Dorn. Yeah, there is a there is Unleash Dog Park and Bar. Yes, forty eight forty eight Van Dorn. So that would be the shopping center. It's the there shopping center there by and, McDonald's. And they pulled a building permit, one hundred and ten. Theirs is only one hundred and ten thousand, but they're not going from warehouse to dog bar. They're going from strip shopping center to a dog bar. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe it's less money if <laughs> if you've got some of the stuff built already there. Hey, at Midtown uh, at 2241 O Street, St. Joseph Institute's there, and they're doing a 12,000-square-foot remodel. And I bring it up, $2.9 million building permit. That's pretty substantial. Um, big announcement at 9060 Andermatt Lux Salon for hair. That's your office, right? Yes, that's my my building. Getting and a new uh, happy, happy, happy that they're there. Back so. by uh, Walmart in South, Southeast Lincoln. That's all for Grow Lincoln. Thanks a lot. And send an announcement about your business opening, closing, or relocating via Facebook or Twitter. Mm-hmm.